Lord, today we desire to lift up the Pertzers and their situation, and pregnancy and ministry primarily. Praise you for them and their faithfulness and their desire to uh, minister to leaders, to be the next generation of leaders in not only South America, but Central America, the Latin world. Just pray that you would continue to use them in a mighty way. Pray for the uh, new fellows as well, as they are ministering as well, and as they'll travel to the Middle East, that you'll not only protect them, but use them the ways that you desire. So we commit that time, desiring today, that you would in fact today open up your word, that we may have clarity, clearness of thought, that your word would not only come alive, but motivate us to desire to live for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. What I'd like to do today is basically continue what we started last week. Well, continue what we've been doing for three years, I guess. But particularly, I was bringing out some of the insights in science that Romans 8 give us. I did mention last time that this is one of those passages that is full of science. Not just Genesis 1, not just Genesis 6 through 8. But Romans 8 as well. Actually, you should include uh, Genesis 9 as well. In fact, I'm going to allude to it today. There's also Second Peter chapter 3, the beginning there. It gives lots of insights. In fact, it gives insights in science that you can't discover by science. We call that revelation. And there's insights in this passage that you can't discover by science. So it's revelatory as well. And some of the things that I want to share, I think are cutting edge. I don't know of too many, in fact, I don't know of anybody that's going to present Romans 8 in this way. So it's either cutting edge, or if it's unique, it's usually heresy. <laughs> so you'll have to... We'll have our, sto- our stones at the ready. Yeah, have your, <laughs> have your stones ready, exactly. So, obviously, we're still in the book of Romans, and looking at... Issues that are, because of inspiration, applicable to any age, not just the Romans that were the initial audience, but everything that's here. In fact, Romans 8 is just as applicable, particularly this passage. That's why I'm bringing out these scientific insights. Just as applicable to the world which we live in as well, which puts a very high premium on on science. In fact, looks at scripture as religion or opinion or ideas that can't be verified, but I think that's far from reality. So we're looking at issues relating to Romans 8, chapter 8, and I'm going to kind of review real quickly here just to catch up and then pick up where we left off last time. 1 through 8, power over the sinful flesh, 12 through 17, sonship because that's the heart of walking. We have a relationship. We're in a family. And this is the key in this passage, even though we're going to talk a little bit about science, and we spent two weeks looking at the first part there that emphasizes suffering in sanctification. This is the one of the main instruments that God uses in sanctifying us or conforming us to his image. Without it, oftentimes we just are complacent and we just kind of float along in the Christian walk and sometimes 
suffering awakens us and or puts us on our knees that we uh, look to him. And the interesting thing about this passage is he doesn't go into a lot of detail on it. But as you'll see, I'm going to develop that that theme kind of underlies everything, including what we're talking about in terms of the scientific insights. And I think that goes all the way, verse 30. So verses 18 through 27, future hope in suffering. And that's the focus. He's going to give us some insights that give us a future hope that actually give us, that future hope gives us some uh, ways of understanding the present world because the present world is not always going to be the way it is today. So what he does is he goes back to what caused the situation in the present world, which you can't discover by science. You can discover, we talked about the second law of thermodynamics, that's evident. In fact, that's one of the clearest statements of science that you can find. We have a future hope. That's the first, that's the perspective. But keep in mind, behind everything that I'll be saying is this idea of suffering. We have the antithesis of suffering, verse 18. That's glory. That's the focus. That's the future. That's the hope. The fact that everything that we experience now in terms of suffering is temporary. And in fact, there's no comparison between what we experience now and the glory we will experience then. And I brought out, starting with the first word there, or first three words for I consider, and I'm going to go quickly because we looked in detail. Remember, that's what word is that that we've looked at at least 15 times in the book of Romans? Logizomai. There you go. There's a Greek student. Logizomai. And very quickly, we get the idea of logic, logistics, those ideas from lagas, and then the verb is logizomai, so it's related to thought, thinking. In fact, it's a mathematical term, accounting term. I mentioned it could be used in science as well. And it's possible in this context, because it deals with science, Paul may be using it in this sense. This is the same word he uses elsewhere for putting spiritual realities to our account. So it's an accounting term. And what he's talking about in that, he is imputing, in other words, declaring us righteous. And we could think of that as God putting that inheritance that we've been looking at into our spiritual bank account. So when you you have something to draw on, you have resources to draw on. But in this context, he's using that same word probably in a scientific sense, in the sense of something that's reasoned, a reasoned conclusion after all the data is evaluated. And Paul has thought through all of the theology that the Old Testament teaches, particularly beginning in Genesis chapter 3, where he alludes to the fall of man. I consider this passage a commentary on that passage, and he uses that to kind of contrast what we experience now as a result of the fall in contrast to what we will experience in a future time frame. So, Logizomai, and I just use the formula there to give you the idea that this is like the calculation that you make once you get all of the parameters into the formula. You come up with a Q, if you will, thermodynamic formula there. 
So last time we saw in verse 18, starting us off, I'm going to give you, actually I came up with at three in the morning, I was awakened and flash of lightning came through the house and I came up with another one. Actually, I was going to say it and I thought, no, it's too important. You need to add it. So there's only 10 on your outline sheet and I added an 11th one. It'll be just before the last one there. So number one. We're dealing with a reasoned conclusion all the way through the whole passage. And then in verse 19, we're waiting, the waiting of the creation. The creation is waiting. And now he's going to talk about the natural realm, the creation, and going to give us some characteristics, some uh, issues relating to the creation. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of the creation, he's at least personifying the creation. Some of us think that it may be even more than that, but at least personification, where he's picturing the creation as if it were a person longing like we would. Remember, we went through the three words. I'm not going to go through it again, but there's an anticipation, a longing, and it's an intense longing. And when you're in the middle of suffering, you sense that. In other words, I want this to stop. I want this to end. And you might even be thinking of, I want to experience glory, that future glory. So especially when you're suffering, that's when you sense verse 19. But in this context, he's saying, similarly, the creation has that longing. And after he talks about the creation, then in verse 23, he talks about us eagerly waiting as well. And even groaning, as he says in verse 22, relating to the creation. So we anxiously are longing, creation, longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That's that future glory. And we'll talk about that in uh, later on. Back for just a second. When it says revealing, what is it revealing about the of God and are we doing Do you want to look like this the rest of eternity? That's the revealing. <laughs> That's the revealing. In other words, what? We will look like when we are fully glorified. That's the so reveal. Glorification. It is talking That's the context. And you're saying you're looking at the end results in. Actually, in the millennial kingdom, at the second coming, at the rapture, we will be glorified. All right? And it's an unveiling. It's a, it's a, you can't see what we are actually, what we look like in reality. This is part of the glorification happening. We're in the process, that's what sanctification is. We are in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. The revealing is when Christ is revealed at his second coming in the two phases. The first one is the rapture, where we will be revealed because we will be transformed. Yeah, I don't want to look like this the rest of eternity. So, who we truly are as regenerate people totally conformed to the image of God, that is what will be seen at that point and unveiled and revealed. And remember, the word. what's the word there, revealing? We saw that one. I'm not going to go over it again, but I'll just remind you since so brought it up. Remember the word? What's the first word in the book of Revelation? Apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Okay? So, number one, we have this recent conclusion that starts off this whole paragraph. And this eager anticipation, I made a big point out of, in the science world, you come up with a hypothesis to explain a set of data, 
And from that set of data, you can make predictions in terms of what you expect as similar circumstances occur. That's the repeatability of science, repeatability of natural law. And the creation anticipates an end product. So what we're giving here and what Paul is giving us is a biblical scientific model relating to the creation. Remember, I brought that out last time. I'm just reviewing here. Verse 20, this is at the heart of the condition of the creation today. So he's going to explain what happened to the creation such that it's different from the original creation. Now, he doesn't go into detail here. You have to go back to Genesis and Genesis 1. How does Genesis 1 conclude? The creation, after six days of creation, God says what? It is very good. Is it very good today? What happened? Okay, It's not what happened, verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility. This is one of the clearest statements of the second law of thermodynamics in Scripture. Verse 20, we brought that out. In fact, I went through an explanation on thermodynamics. I'll give you just the heart of it today. Creation was subjected to futility. So we came up with the idea. It's in the aorist tense, point of time, definiteness. That's aorist tense in the Greek. Historical event. Something changed that very good creation into this condition of futility. Not only is it in the aorist tense, but it's in the passive voice, indicating that historical event had to have an outside cause. This verse tells us that outside cause. We're talking science here, cause and effect. What caused that very good creation to now be what it is today? This is science. These are science insights. The nature is changed to futility. So we talked about what does that mean? That's the second law of thermodynamics. In other words, well, I'll explain it. We'll talk a little bit of physics again. Second law of thermodynamics, it's an irreversible tendency to unwind. And the universe has been unwinding since the fall of man. Universe cannot be eternal Otherwise, we would have experienced cold death of the universe already. So it is still unwinding, and it'll continue to unwind until God intervenes to change everything. That makes sense? So it's an irreversible tendency. This is still a review to unwind. It's a movement from organization to disorganization. That's the description. And last time I gave you examples from different sciences in biology. It's the whole decay process leading to death. Your cells today are dying. You may not know it. In fact, you can't tell from day to day, but take a photograph of yourself today and look at it ten, look at the mirror 10 years from now and what? You'll see the effects of the second law of thermodynamics on your face. The law of decay, the law of dis- disorganization, disintegration, and this is a universally observed law of science that is observed everywhere we look, and it touches not just physics, it's stated clearly in a branch of physics, thermodynamics, that's why it's called the second law, but you see it in every area of physics, you see it in biology, you see it in human biology or 
better called anthropology, physical anthropology. Another passage, in fact, a series of passages, Isaiah 51, 6, it talks about the, the heavens wearing out. That's this idea of decay, degeneration, disorganization. And then the central passage that we're looking at today, last time I gave you a little help with uh, child rearing here. You need to be one step ahead of your kids, because if they raise the second law of thermodynamics, you need to introduce the law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect, you don't clean your room, there is punishment. Just kidding, you guys. You guys are so quiet, I guess, is one word today. Still asleep, it looks like, right? So the cartoon, your kid might raise this. Mom, you can't fight the second law of thermodynamics. The implication is, you know, don't make me clean the room. It's going to be dirty tomorrow. It's going to just be in the same shape tomorrow. Second law of thermodynamics, all things, which includes bedrooms, move from a state of order to disorder. Anyway, I'll move on. But the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly. Now remember, he's talking about the creation. What does that tell us in terms of a scientific concept? It requires an outside agency, something acting on it, something outside of the universe. If you can observe the second law everywhere in the universe, you have something acting outside, and the text tells us what that agency is, and I should rather say who that agency is, all right? But because of him, there's the outside agency. Because of him who subjected it. So there's this outside agency acting on the creation, God himself. That's why it's the commentary on Genesis chapter 3. And it's in hope. And that's what he's developing here, this idea of this future hope that we're not going to always be in this state of degeneration that all of the creation is involved in. We're not the only ones. Creation is groaning and experiencing the same thing. That's verse 22. But because of him who subjected it, so it has a future outlook, and the outlook is in hope. So verse 21, the anticipation of the creation. This is about where we left off last time. That, there's a purpose. See a purpose statement there? The Greek purpose word there, that. So this whole experience from Genesis 3 is part of a bigger plan that is in the process of working itself out. And there's a future part of it that Paul is laying out in this context that the creation itself also will be set free of something. Today, the second law continues. The only way you can, uh, what's the word, uh, deal with it, like the law of gravity, is you you have to counteract it. It takes energy to counteract. But you're never, the second law is you're never 100% efficient in it, but you can counteract it. In fact, Bill points out that life counteracts the second law of thermodynamics. But there's going to come a day, this passage is telling us, when a purpose for all of this suffering that you might be experiencing today is not only going to be removed, but in fact 
it, it anticipates a state, you might say, of glory. But he starts with the creation. That the creation itself also will be set free. So we have another insight. We have not only divine action, God is acting, but number eight here, we have a divine purpose. There's a purpose behind it all. Now, science ignores, in general, at least secular science, ignores the work of God and the action of God. So the unbeliever does not know these things. In fact, science cannot discover these things. This is outside of the realm of science. So science has limitations. It can only deal with that that is observable. You need revelation to be able to understand the ultimate working of any area of science. So science only scratches the surface, you might say. Science can only deal with that that is observable. There's a whole realm of the unobservable divine action and divine purpose. But what we have in Romans 8 is not only these scientific insights, but we also have revelation that gives us the bigger picture in terms of the natural realm. Got it? So, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery. It's a very strong word. Slavery to corruption. Slavery to this ongoing decay process. This ongoing outworking of the second law of thermodynamics. This is observable. You can see that. You can measure it, even. That's what the science of thermodynamics does in terms of energy. Ask Gendron here. He's a mechanical engineer, so this is the area that he's expert in. Right? <laughs> that was 40 years ago, right? Okay, so that, this is another concept. This is a scientific insight. You see it? This is natural law. This is, there's no way to change that. It's like slavery. He's using kind of human analogy throughout this passage, but in fact, you can't reverse it. You can use whatever creams and Botox and whatever, but you're still decaying, and eventually your heart's going to stop beating. So it's like slavery to corruption. That's why it's important in this context to walk in the Spirit, because when you're not walking in the Spirit, that is what's counteracting in the spiritual realm, the second law, and we might even describe it as the second law of spiritual dynamics. You either go forward or you degenerate even spiritually. And it's like slavery to corruption. And if you go back to Genesis 3, you're going to see the physical effects are described in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 continues with the science that you can discover in Genesis 1 and 2 when God creates. And I use this slide to kind of illustrate it. In fact, I use this on my foundations course and creation science talks sometimes. What happened to the serpent? What happened to the serpent? Serpent was cursed. But what else does it say about the serpent? Serpent was cursed. Well, it's describing... He was supposed to crawl on his belly. But what besides the serpent? More than all of the beasts of the field. What does that tell you? That tells you not just the serpent was cursed. Okay? That's why I say all of zoology was affected by the fall of man. Go back to Genesis. What happened to the woman that was different from the very good creation of the woman? 
Pain in childbearing. Okay. Biologically, anthropologically, something happened to Eve that all of you women are experiencing today. Now, it doesn't state with the man, but I think all of anthropology was affected as well. Men are affected by the second law as well, and who knows what Adam was changed as well, but we know very clearly woman's pain, so we could say all of anthropology was affected by the second law. Geophysics, the ground was cursed. That's geophysics. It's not using science terms, but it's talking about how God cursed the earth. You could also say botany, thorns and thistles, before a very good creation did not have plants with thorns and thistles. All of botany, not only zoology. So you could say all of biology, zoology, anthropology, botany, all of life was affected, not just human beings. Geophysics as well. Physics, toil, sweat, and death. That's another description of the second law of thermodynamics. Of all of the diseases and Disease can insects. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Ebola and right. all of the stuff that now is even food being impacted because the ground was contaminated in some way. You're always one step ahead of me. Look at this. Oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> always one step ahead of me. I'm only bringing out that that you find in Genesis 3, but the implication, if you... If you added to Genesis 3 and God described other things, you'd have to come to the conclusion that the entire universe was in fact affected. Make sense? So, environmentalism as well. Inefficiency, second law thermodynamics. I could expand on that, but for the sake, let me give you a chart that charts this. Since it's a historical event, we can put it on a timeline, just like any other historical event. We have a very good creation. The next historical event that's described in the Bible is what? Fall of man, and as a result of the fall, what we have described in not only Genesis, but here in Romans 8, is a cursed world. And that curse is going to endure until a future event that the book of Romans is also describing. So I have a a line, but notice there's a break here, so we don't know. There's a break in the timeline, because we don't know when that future event's going to take place. There's going to be an interruption in the second law, and I'm not sure scientifically how we might explain it. That's why I've got a dotted line after that event. And by the way, that dotted line is a thousand years long. Bible tells us. All right. So what we have here in that passage, when it talks about this slavery to corruption, it's like a fixed law. The fixity of the second law of thermodynamics within certain time frames. The creation is different today than it was before the fall. And if it's different before today than it was before the fall, then all of science is different because the creation is different. So if you studied things before the fall, you would have different calculations. You'd have different constants. You'd have different effects. You wouldn't have a second law of thermodynamics. So what I'm charting on that chart here are the radical changes that took place first with the fall. So this slavery to corruption in verse 21 is like, well, it is natural law what we can observe, repeatability. 
can't reverse second law. You can only counteract it. So let's add to our chart here. There's another event that's gonna, that occurs that we have a record of. You all know what that is. The flood. There were radical changes that took place at the flood. So let's put it down. And in chapter nine, we have a covenant that God enters, not just with Adam and Eve, but with what? Not only all of mankind, all of the creation. It involves science. It involves the natural realm. God tweaked all of the law. Well, I don't know all of them, but many of the laws of science, he tweaked. In fact, I've got a chart that lists some of them that are in uh, Genesis 6 through 9. The Noahic covenant is in effect. We are living under the Noahic covenant. The world is controlled by the Noahic covenant today. And God's going to tweak it at that point in the future. There's going to be another radical change. Make sense? Physical effects. Now, I don't want to take a lot of time because we don't have... Well, maybe we have some time. Okay, a little time here. Give you a little insight of some of the things that Genesis tells us. Now, it's not using scientific words or descriptions, but just like Genesis 3 gives us little insights that all of zoology is affected, all of anthropology, all of geophysics, all of physics is affected. You can also see, and I've got a whole list here, of things from the text that tells us geophysics again. In fact, you can explain where the entire geological column, where it came about, based on the Genesis Flood, at least down to the Cambrian layer. Below the Cambrian layer, pre-Cambrian rock, that's creation rock. Creation rock. Now, it's affected by the second law, but it's creation rock. Everything above the pre-Cambrian, you can explain it with the Genesis Flood. So all of geophysics is affected. Tectonics, I think, as a result, and after the Flood, in fact, uh, John Baumgartner thinks that the mechanism for the Genesis Flood was a huge tectonic event. So the whole science of tectonics came into existence probably with the Genesis Flood. Tectonics, continents, movement of continents. Baumgartner describes the movement of the continents during the flood event as continental sprint. Today, we just see increments. We see continental drift. Very small centimeters, inches, that causes earthquakes. But during the flood, we had continental sprint. Climatology, there's little hints, Genesis 8 and 9, that seasons come apart. Look at, uh, I think it's verse 22, 8.22 in Genesis. And creationists have a flood model that would produce an ice age. So all of climatology is different. Oceanography, we have boundaries now, different boundaries than what existed before the flood. Orogeny, that's the science of mountain building. All of the high mountains today were created as a result of tectonic effects of the Genesis flood. Point I'm making here, the flood was huge and had massive impact, not just on Noah and his family and obviously all that died in it, but the natural realm as well. Physics, probably, this one you don't have, I don't have a text or a 
mentioned in Genesis, but you would expect constants to be changed after the pattern of the uh, the fall, where clearly I think constants are changed. John thinks that Baumgartner, yeah, that the the relative volume of the uh, landmass and water in the ocean shifted because of a change in a constant, uh, one particular constant. He's got some some observational data about that change from radio halo. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm saying that it happened. I'm saying I don't have a little little phrase in, in Genesis to describe it. But in fact, the, the entire rate program, radio isotopes and the age of the earth, they came up with Lots of conclusions that lead you to believe that all of radiometric dating changed. In other words, all of the constants in terms of radiometric decay changed and were radically different before the flood as they are today. Would it be that the constants and the little things you have to add to your calculations just to make it come out the way it should, once we get back to the state we got created, we won't need any of those little Little additional things to, to we could assume in. we could assume things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's going to be some changes. There's changes in store in the future. We're just talking about the natural realm. Okay. Here's one that's very clear: anthropology. Remember the ages before the flood. Adam died. How many? Nine hundred and thirty. Methuselah. More than that. 966, I think, if I remember right. Any of you want to live to 900? No? No. You guys ready to meet the Lord right now? All of anthropology, probably as a result of effects of lots of constants that affect the longevity of life and biology itself. Might be explained by the possibility. Plus other things, possibly. Yeah, there's a lot of factors that probably come in to causing longevity to not be what it was. The best model we have of the pre-flood environment was that much of the water was actually in the atmosphere. That we had a vapor canopy that surrounded the earth. That's why there was no uh, no rainbows because no sunlight got to the earth, got to the ground. And that vapor canopy would have shielded the surface of the earth can probably be pretty. Okay. And so that's one model of how that longevity occurred. The point being, lots of effects radically different before Genesis flood and after. Two major events that the earth has experienced, in fact, the universe has experienced. And by the way, there's some sense that the Genesis flood had some effects even astrophysically. Yeah. Okay. But there's a future, this hope that the creation itself will be set free from that. In other words, there's going to be a future radical event set free from this corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now he's bringing us into it. Just as we are going to be transformed, the entire universe is going to be transformed. Is this cutting edge? You read this anywhere else? I want to hear you explain Is this heresy? (laughs) Okay, let's explain it. There's going to be an event that I've got drawn on the sketch there. We already have the first fruits. What are the first fruits of that event? The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the first fruits. 
First fruits anticipates more. In other words, there's going to be resurrection of others, particularly you and I as believers. And I believe at the rapture, we the rapture describes us as being transformed, fully glorified. We will receive our resurrection bodies at the rapture. So at the second coming, that's that line there. God is going to tweak the creation once again. It's not going to be the final tweaking. But Isaiah describes after Christ actually establishes a kingdom, the lion will lay down with the lamb. There's biology there. Biology or zoology is going to be affected. You wouldn't do that today unless you had a lion and you wanted to feed it, right? No. Miracles are examples of God reversing the second law of thermodynamics, God radically changing biology in some cases, if it's a miracle of healing, stilling the storm. When Jesus stilled the storm, God basically the wind and uh, what is it? Wind and something else obeyed him, the waves, okay? So miracles are just examples in time, and I've got kind of little asterisks there where there were historical miracles. The book of Acts describes a kingdom. It doesn't tell us the length of it. The book of Revelation does. That's why I have refreshed. The creation is refreshed. That's where these Isaiah passages and others where the lion lays down with the lamb. You let your children play with snakes. You won't have any fear of them. Uh, all the things that are described Great productivity, you know, so all of agriculture is going to be refreshed and regenerated. Karen? You mentioned Second Peter, and I was with that. So, you know, because the covenant where you got the, the earth was destroyed by water, so Peter in the second time will be destroyed by fire. So is the fire going to be, or the destruction be after the thousand years? I take it that it's, yes, I take it at the end of the thousand years. And then we have a new heavens and a new earth. A huge, radical, maybe even doing away, of, well, uh, doing away of the present heavens and the earth in that uh, burning. In fact, I believe in the Big Bang. <laughs> I just believe that it's not at the beginning, it's at the end. It was okay. a little bang at the beginning? Uh, no, it was a creation at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So, All right. So that's the thousand years there. And just to kind of illustrate it, I'm going to ask you a series of questions concerning resurrection. And keep in mind, I think the creation is affected as well, but think of it in terms of you and I. Let me ask you the first question. How is the second law of thermodynamics affected by resurrection bodies? Second law is eliminated. That's what he's talking about in Romans that law, that slavery, is gone. Second law does not affect a resurrection body. What about Newton's laws of motion? The reason I bring this up is because the Newton laws of gravity didn't have an effect on Jesus Christ when he ascended. And I think our bodies will be similar. He just appear where he wanted to appear, and he comes through. That's right. breakfast actually just snaps. Yep. I love it. Newton's laws of motion have no effect on a resurrection body. Laws of, well, laws of gravitation, more specific in terms of Newton. What about, what are the molecular properties of a resurrection body? The biological molecular properties. Probably very, very, we don't know. Yeah. But 
we do know not like it is now. Very different. What about the chemical composition of your body? Bring in a little chemistry here. We don't know, but it's going to be different. Bible says changed. What about optic properties? We can talk about that. The reason I bring this one out, Jesus somehow altered what he looked like to the Emmaus travelers. They didn't recognize him. And then all of a sudden, when it's dark, they're in a dark room with little lamps. He opened their eyes. So he affected optic properties, biological cell properties. You can make a longer list. Just go down sciences and ask you these questions. That is a radical change, right? The nature of immortality, etc. You could uh, come up with others as well. So here's your number, your new number 10. We need revelation to properly understand science. To properly in, interpret the natural realm, you need revelation. And that's what we have in Romans 8. And you might say Genesis 3. And you might say 1 Peter 3. We have revelation. And number 11, now number 10 is not on your outline sheet. We have these radical transformations that glory is going to be introduced. Future glory. And it's going to come in stages. We will be transformed for a thousand years. And then after the thousand years, that's heaven. That's where everything is glorified. And who knows what the, if there will be a natural realm or if it will be entirely spiritual. I don't know. It's a new heavens and a new earth. But what I'm, the point I'm making in terms of science insights, there is no way today that we can project back before the Genesis flood and or project forward apart from Revelation. This is one of the arguments that I use to argue for a relatively young earth because all of the old earthers use a concept that this invalidates. They assume what is called uniformitarianism. The constants, the laws that you experience today, this is uniformitarianism, have always been the same. In other words, the laws of nature are eternal. They've always been the same. They will always be the same. Here's that Second Peter, Second Peter 3. There's a statement of uniformitarianism in that context. That assumption is invalidated by revelation because there has been a radical transformation of the entire natural realm in the past at the fall, a second one at the flood, Romans 8, and all of the passages that speak of future hope and that describe the second coming describes a future radical transformation of the natural realm for a thousand years, and then at the end of the thousand years, the Big Bang, the ultimate Big Bang. So radical transformation. There, there's your science insights. Glorification is the end product of sanctification. Let's look at verse 22, kind of introduce it. For we know, this is factual, this is knowledge, We know that the whole creation groans. You can see it. How can you observe the natural realm groaning? Any suggestions? Read the newspaper. Well, that's anthropology, but what about, about, what about the natural realm? That talks about tsunamis. Okay, there you go, there you go. Earthquakes. Look at the earth groaning there in that photograph. It's Alaska. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the 1962 earthquake, 64 earthquake. This is the earth groaning and showing the effects of radical effects of the second law. You can see it visibly. What about 
destruction of uh, we've seen Mount St. Helens we visited Pompeii where a whole city we went to Hierapolis a whole city was destroyed a whole city's been destroyed in Hawaii yes not too long ago this is the groanings of the creation and here's what you were talking about here you go Junko your home nation that was Japan. Remember the tsunami that wiped out an entire city? Is that an actual picture? That's an actual photograph, yeah. Wow. Yep. And there's others that you can look up on the web that show the aftermath, just virtually everything destroyed. That's the creation groaning. So you can see it. You can observe it. You can observe this groaning. Scientifically, you can observe it. But we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. It's like the intense pains of a woman as she's about to give birth. And the process, for some, it takes many days. If you're lucky, maybe a few hours, but suffers the pains of childbirth together. It's like the earth is experiencing these, and you have these destructions and these examples. And notice it's together until now, together with us, perhaps, until the writing of Paul, but we continue to see it even in the 21st century. Mary Lou, did you? I was, one, I was wondering whether physical manifestations that we see, the uh, earthquakes and tsunamis and all the rest, um, were that groaning or were they the effects of rebellion in the world that rebels against us because we brought rebellion creation? Yes, yes, that, that is the essence of the fall of man, the judgment on man, the fall of man, is God in fact introduced elements in the creation to show us that the creation now is rebelling against us and our rulership. Yes, yeah, yeah. And let's conclude with verse 23 because it deals with us. So if you are suffering now, You are like the creation. You are groaning as well. Not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Not resurrection here. This is a different first fruits. In other words, you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He's already described that. But also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. See, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And when you're suffering, you're groaning. You're longing for it to be gone. You're, you're wanting it to leave. And what Paul is assuring us here, it's going to go. And in fact, there's future glory. And particularly future glory as we are faithful. There's more glory in faithfulness. We wait eagerly, same word as he used of the creation, for the adoption of sons. That's when it happens. That's the rapture. The redemption of our body. Redemption, a final glorification. This is the end product at the end, at the rapture. Closing thought, science cannot explain, but only revelation reveals this future glory. So was this cutting-edge science or heresy? <laughs> Good. Who wants to close? We got through it. I didn't think I would. Does that mean you're going to pray? Yes, from my ear. Okay, go ahead. Heavenly Father, we hear that the body deteriorating, groaning, groaning, um, will one day be renewed, watering for the feeding that we get from your word. 
Counteract it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheryl and Fortune the same thing. Like, we want you to reverse the day, but I know they would rather view. So, Lord, your will affect us for the people who would be called to mind this class and help us with the spiritual conversation that we have throughout the Amen. Yeah.